Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. This is a prophecy on Jesus coming 700 years before he came. This can be found on the inside of your bulletin or, of course, in, this, in the Bible. Isaiah 42, 1 through 9. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thank be to God. God. <coughs> well, I was 20, 20 years old, second year at the University of Virginia, and I was in love. Her name was Lee Ellen Bristol, a co-ed from Roanoke, Virginia, and I knew that she had to be mine. Oh yeah. We had been placed on the same Young Life team and a romance had sort of blossomed. In fact, we lived in the same apartment complex and uh, you know, I knew this was the one for me and something happens when you're in love. People do crazy things for love. And so I decided I needed to do something to really catch this gal's attention. So I was sitting with a buddy of mine, Steve, in our apartment complex, and I had a key to Lee Ellen's car, a 1985 Ford Tempo. It was a beauty that we used to drive up to, uh, you know, to the high school when we did Young Life. So I said to my buddy, Steve, here's what I want, I'm going to do. I'm going to take a little note that says, look in the trunk, and I'm going to put it in her glove compartment box. And then I'm going to go around it, and I'm going to open up the trunk, and I'm going to get in it. <laughs> Because this is the exact way that you win a girl's love, obviously. My roommate told me I was an idiot. He was correct. Nevertheless, people do crazy things for love. And I said, so in five minutes, I want you to go over to Lee Ellen's house, tell her to go look in the glove compartment box. She'll look in the glove compartment box, she'll come around, I'll pop out, and she'll fall madly in love with me. It's simple. He said, all right, whatever. So I go put the note in the box, I go ahead, I get in the trunk with the key, and without thinking, I shut the door. Oh my goodness. And I am enveloped in darkness. Now this is a 1985 tempo. There's no self-release hatch or anything like that. And I am enveloped in darkness. <coughs> and I don't know if you've ever been in complete darkness, but it is a little bit unsettling. And it is then that I also realize that I'm claustrophobic. <laughs> And it is then that I realized that I'm going to die in the trunk of a 1985 Ford Tempo in my second year of University of Virginia, and there's nothing that I can do about it. So the panic starts to rise from within my gut as I try to get a hold of myself, 
as I'm coming unglued. My life flashes before me twice. <laughs> and finally, as I am pulling it together, there I hear the pitter-patter of little feet. And my hopes are confirmed as I hear a door opening and the glove compartment and then someone shuffling around and a key in the door and it pops open and I jump out and yell, yes! I'm free at last, <laughs> free free. Of course, she falls madly in love with me. I'm just happy to be alive at this point. Well, people do crazy things for love. But what is the moral of the story? Well, that's easy. Don't get in the back of a 1985 Ford Tempo if you want someone to love you. Now, the moral of the story was that I was trapped. I trapped myself by doing something very, very stupid. Now, granted, my intentions were good, but I was trapped all the, all the same, trapped in darkness. There was only one way out, and I didn't have it. Now, the reason I tell this story is because it is akin to what we're talking about in this passage. <clears throat> because this passage depicts a world that is trapped in darkness, a people that are imprisoned, that have no way out, save for someone letting them out. See, in a weird way, my condition physically was not that different from the world spiritually, trapped in the darkness. But in this passage, we see hope. Hope in the darkness of one who will come and will bring the light. The one who is called the hope of the world. And so for the next three hours, I'm going to sermonize on three particular points. I'm just kidding for new goers. Number one, we are trapped by the darkness. What is this darkness that we're trapped by? I want to talk about that. Then number two, I want to talk about the God who has sent a light that has penetrated the darkness of this world. And then finally, number three, I want to talk about how God has freed us from this darkness by the light who has come into the world. One, we're trapped by darkness. Two, God has sent light into the darkness. And three, God has freed us from the darkness by this light. So let's look at point number one. We are trapped in the darkness. Well, it's interesting that this whole story of light that we read about in the scriptures begins with darkness, doesn't it? Remember, in the beginning, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the earth, the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And what was the first thing God spoke? Let there be light. And there was light. See, the Hebrew, if you really translate it, depicts a world that was chaotic, that was without life, that was dark, that was a maelstrom. And God speaks into this world, and He brings light. He actually brings His presence into the world. Because God is light, isn't He? First John, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. And the book of James tells us that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. See, God is light. Because light is pure, isn't it? Light is radiant. We have no fear of the light. It's the darkness that we have fear of. The light, rather, shows what is, shows what should be. And so God is light. Where light is, God is. And where darkness is, God is not. In fact, we see this in the story of Satan's fall. 
Lucifer, the angel of light, who battled against God and was cast down. Second Peter says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. People sometimes ask me, you know, what is, is there a hell? Does hell really exist? The answer is yes. Well, what's it like? Hell is a place where God's loving presence is not. And so if God is love, hell is a place where there is no love. If God is peace, hell is a place where there is no peace. If God is light, hell is a place of darkness. And so we must ask the question, what about this world? What is this world that we live in? The scriptures tell us that this world is a place shrouded in darkness. For the scripture tells us that this one, the light bearer, the justice bringer, the servant of the Lord has come to open eyes that were blind, prisoners in a dungeon sitting in darkness. You see, the problem with mankind, the verdict of mankind is this, that he has followed the ways of Satan. See, Satan, although he was in the presence of the light, wanted to seize the light and make it his own. And thus he was cast into darkness. And is that not the curse of man? Man wanting to be his own God, to determine the way he should live for himself, being cast out of the presence of God, being cast into the darkness. Well, you may say, wait a second, I can see fine. We have light here. We see some of the grace of God, the goodness of God. And yet, the verdict is ultimately that the world is shrouded in darkness. It's not hard to have to see that, is it? That all is not well on planet Earth. I don't know if you've been following the stories in the news about this Occupy Wall Street movement. And Occupy... Uh, Portland, and there was actually a sign on Trashmore, I don't know if you saw it, OccupyVB.com. Uh, there's an <coughs> Occupy Virginia movement. Well, what's that about? It's people pro 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 uh, trusting, protesting the inequality, the fiscal inequality between the haves and the have-nots. Well, is that, is that right? I don't know. I do know this, that there is not harmony between people on this planet. That there is greed. That there is selfishness. All is not well on planet Earth. Our hearts and our thoughts go out to this policeman in Virginia Tech, Blacksburg, this week. Guy who's stopped someone with a traffic issue. Person walks up out of nowhere, guns him down. Five kids. Where did that come from? The darkness on the planet. All is not well on planet Earth. And yet we see here hope, for justice will one day come. Notice this one, the servant of the Lord, what he is supposed to do. Verse 1, he will bring justice to the nations. Verse 3, he will faithfully bring forth justice. Verse 4, he will establish justice in the earth. See, he will bring justice because he will bring light. You know, when light comes, there is justice. How do I know that? Whenever there's a power blackout in a major city, what happens? Looting. Because crime happens in the darkness. But this justice bringer, he will bring forth light and true light that will bring true justice. In fact, all of mankind's problems in this world have been feeble attempts to fix, uh, to bring justice. Remember Jean-Jacques Rousseau? 
Man is born free, but everywhere is in chains. Rise up, workers. The issues are social inequalities. If we can break free from these social structures, we will have justice. Well, Rousseau's thinking spawned the French Revolution, one of the most bloody revolutions in the history of mankind. It was Marx that said the problem is capital, capital distribution. If we can deal with these evils of capitalism, then we will truly have justice in the world. Well, how good did that work? The problem dealt with the power was in the hands of the few who subjugated millions, and there was some of the greatest injustice on the face of the earth. See, the issue is this. We want to fix all the problems out there, but the true problem is in the human heart, isn't it? I was interning for a couple of weeks. I was a senior fourth year at UVA, and I was interested in going to law school. I wanted to see the life of a lawyer. So I went to spend some time with my uncle, who was a prominent attorney in Dallas, and he took a lot of high-profile cases. And I sat with him through a case that he was trying. It was a public official who had been uh, arrested for cocaine possession. And pretty big charges in the paper. And this guy was going to go away for a while if he was convicted. Well, my uncle was a very good attorney. And he was able, through a variety of defenses, to, sh to show that there were some issues. Policeman, how could you have really seen that it was him and not the person in the car from the distance? This wasn't his drug of choice. He wouldn't have done this. He brought forth witnesses and other people and did such a skillful job that he was able to cast a reasonable doubt as to whether this was the man who had actually done that. And in the end, he was actually acquitted. It was only that I discovered later from my uncle that he was guilty. Justice had not been served for this man. Because we cannot have true justice without the one who brings justice. See, we all want justice, don't we? Justice to live in a just world. We want a judge to come, but the question I have for you, my friends, is what will happen when the judge examines you and me? What happens when the light will shine into our own hearts? Why do I yell at my kids when I'm upset? Why can't I be more patient with them? Why am I not more sensitive to the problems of the world? Why do I grow so callous to the problems of others? It was you too, the band, and their song, I Believe in Love, that said, I don't believe in excess. Success is to give. I don't believe in riches, but you should see where I live. I don't believe in forced entry. I don't believe in rape, but every time she passes by, wild thoughts escape. I don't believe in death row, skid row or the gangs. I don't believe in the Uzi, it just went off in my hand. I believe in love. See, if we want God to judge the world in perfect righteousness, should he not judge us as well? And so we must acknowledge the darkness in our own heart, that we all, my friends, have gotten into that trunk and shut the door. And there is no freedom save for the one who can set us free. But this message is about hope. Because a light bearer has come. One that gives hope to the world. In fact, one through the whole world waits for. This is my point number two. Light has entered the darkness. Look at verse four. That the coastlands, the nations actually wait for his law. 
The scriptures actually tell us that the nations, the world is groaning in expectation for this one who will come, who will set things right. Well, let's learn about him. Verse 1, Behold my servant whom I am uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit in him. He will bring justice to the nations. We see that this one is called my servant. This is the first of several servant songs in the Old Testament, where this one, the Savior, is called the servant, the one who will faithfully do what God has called him to do. He is the one that God delights in with his soul, the one who is perfect in every way, who God rejoices in, so much so that he will put his spirit on him. The Old Testament, to put the spirit of the Lord on someone was to give them his power, to give them his favor, to give them his mission. This one will bring justice to the nations. But this one who will look into your heart and my heart will not bring condemnation. No, rather, he has come, verse 7, to open the eyes of those who are blind, to bring out the prisoners who sit in the darkness. The Lord is emphatic that he will do this. Twice he invokes his name. I do this all the time when I want to make a point to my kids. I am your father. What does God say here? Verse 5. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk on it. Again in verse 8, he gives his name, that he will do this. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, or my praise to carved idols. God is saying, I will do this. I will bring forth this justice bearer, the light bearer. But we see that he will bring forth this light in a very unusual way. First, he will bring it forth quietly. Verse 2, he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. This one who brings justice won't do it with much fanfare in the beginning. You won't see him on the television. In fact, you might just walk by him on the street if you did not know what to look for. He will bring justice quietly, at least initially. And he will also bring it painfully. Verse 2, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. See, the justice bringer will suffer. He will experience persecution that will come upon him. A crown of thorns on his head, nails in his hand, the derision of the crowd. He will bring forth justice at much expense to his life. But he will bring forth justice steadily. Verse 2, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. See, this one won't quit. He won't stop no matter what is thrown against him. He will proceed forward till death, if it takes, to establish justice. Thus says the Lord. This light bearer is not a message. This light bearer is a person. The book of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. See, here's the thing about darkness. You can get used to it. You can get used to darkness so much that the light is painful, that you don't want to come out into the light because you've come so, become so used to the darkness. I remember when we uh, went down and we wanted to adopt our daughter, Maria. And uh, one of the biggest challenges for us was how to extricate Maria from the orphanage without doing a lot of psychological damage. Because Maria's only life, she had been taken to the orphanage when she was very small. She knew of no other life than life in the orphanage. And though this was a, a dingy place that was a walled compound, prison bars almost, it was the only home that she knew. See, the orphanage mates that would come and go, they were the only brothers and sisters that she never had. Her caretakers, who would be there, the only parents that she ever had. And so when we would get close to Maria, Maria would push back because she didn't want to leave the world that she knew. If only we had been able to communicate to her the life that we had for her on the other side, the life that we were bringing her to, a life of love and caring and hope and joy. But when we would try to take her, she would flail because she was so upset. She didn't want to go into that world because she didn't understand it. And the reality is, Leellen and I hated it there. And we hated those experiences. We didn't belong in that world. But in order to get Maria, we had to enter into that world. Because love makes you do crazy things. See, Jesus got into the trunk with you and me. He met us in our point of darkness. It was C.S. Lewis that said, He is not proud. He will have us, even though we have shown that we prefer everything else to Him. God got in the trunk through Jesus Christ. And Jesus will get into the trunk for you and me. See, many of us, we sit in the darkness. Darkness is some of the most isolating place that you could ever be, and you may feel that nobody understands me. Nobody knows my world, my issues, and my problems. Nobody cares. But Jesus is not afraid to enter into your world and my world steadily, carefully. You may be discouraged in your darkness, that your life is full of broken dreams, dashed hopes, regrets, as you look at the pile of your life and wondered what happened. Jesus has come to come into the darkness to show you that there is a greater light, a light that you could never know. And finally, maybe what keeps you from the light is the darkness of sin, the things that you've done in your life. If people really knew what I did and have done, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. But the light is pure. And Jesus knows everything about you. And he loves you and he likes you anyways. And Jesus is not afraid to get into your trunk and to meet you where you're at. Because people do crazy things for love. And God has done crazy things for us in Christ. Well, this brings me to my third point. You see, Jesus came into the trunk not only to stay there with us, but to get us 
out of it. The light has come to rescue us from the darkness. It was Jerry Bridges, the uh, writer, we have to understand what true justice is according to God. Jerry Bridges, the uh, Christian writer, puts it this way, that God does not exalt his mercy at the expense of his justice. And in order to maintain his justice, all sin without exception must be punished. Contrary to popular opinion with God, there is no such thing as mere forgiveness. There is only justice. So how can we, who are sinful people, who have locked ourselves in the trunk of sin, have justice? Does not Psalm 1 say, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he will meditate day and night. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. You see, Jesus wants us to be able to stand before his Father. And so he who was light became darkness, that we who were darkness might become light in Him. You only have to look at the way Jesus died to understand this. All three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, excuse me, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record what happened when Jesus was on the cross getting ready to give up His life. Now it was about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. See, all the darkness of the sins of his people were being heaped upon himself, and the earth was reflecting the darkness that was coming upon the soul of the Lord. And after Jesus gave up his spirit, what happened? Was he not taken down? Was he not put in a tomb? Was not a stone rolled over it so that his darkness might be complete? See, the tomb is the ultimate darkness, isn't it? Jesus Christ, who was light, became darkness for us in the tomb. But Jesus Christ, three days later, rolled back the stone, God himself, and he emerged light again. He who was darkness became light, and he, we who were darkness became light in him. Verse 6 says a very interesting thing when he's speaking of Jesus. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you, and I will give you as a covenant for the people. When I knew I wanted to marry Leellen, there was one critical thing I needed to do. I needed to come up with a ring somewhere, right? Give a ring to show and to propose. Well, I was just finished college, but I wanted to get a ring, you know, there's a ring and I wanted to get a ring. And so I decided that I was going to work, have to work really hard if I was going to get her the ring that I wanted. And so I worked all through the summer outside in the heat, scrimping and saving and doing whatever it could do to grab a buck because I wanted to show Lee Ellen in this ring how much I loved her. I wanted it to be a symbol of the covenant of love that I wanted to have with her. So when she looked at it, she would know in her heart of hearts that her husband loved her. But in this passage, we see that God is giving us something, a covenant. 
between him and us. And it's not just a symbol. It's a priceless gift. The one who has purchased for us salvation. The life of Jesus Christ. So that when we look at him, we would know the love of God. We would understand the preciousness of how he feels for us. Why would God give so much of himself for us? Because people do crazy things for love. And so, what are we to do with all of these things? I finish with this question, so what? The truth of the matter is when someone loves you, you must make a decision. Because love demands a response. And so I'm calling you to respond to God's love. If you want the love that He has given to you, it is yours. For all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, the, the Scriptures tell us to those who believe, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Well, how do we do that? I'm going to give you three simple points. Number one, rejoice. Rejoice in what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. You know, it takes Christmas sometimes for us to remember this one called Jesus. We go about our days and busyness and then we pause for one month or maybe one day out of the entire year to remember this one called Jesus. But rather, what God wants us to do is to rejoice. Rejoice in what Jesus has done. He has rescued us. He wants us to be like me, busting out of the trunk, celebrating what God has done. The only way we can do that is if we fix our eyes on Jesus. And so we must not only rejoice, we must also remember. Remember. What is the cross on the steeple? Is it not a call to remember? Remember the gift of Him who came when we were locked and who released us and got into the trunk and became locked Himself. Let us rejoice, but let us also remember and finally, let us resolve. Let us resolve to live as children of the light. He's called us to be a different people. To live by faith, not by sight. To live not in pride, but to live in humility. To live in hope with our eyes and our heart, fixed on Jesus, the author and the champion of our faith. We do that when we get serious about God what He wants us to do and be. As we examine His words, as we resolve wholeheartedly day by day, that whatever path you ask me to go on, I will. Whatever your word says for me to do, I will. And you will be alongside me. Jerry Bridges, again, we are responsible to obey the will of God. But we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit for the enabling power to do it. My friends, God has given you a gift this Christmas. It's greater than a ring. It's greater than escape from any trunk. He's given you His Son. For in His Son, we have salvation. Why would He do it? Well, crazy love makes you do crazy things. So let's be crazy ourselves and love Jesus with the crazy love that He's given us. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.